Welcome to the Poem of the Week. Each week, our poems are intended to help you practice the best, most current medicine by alerting you to studies that could change your practice. As usual, our host this week is National Public Radio's Dr. Michael Wilkes and Essential Evidence Senior Editor, Dr. Mark Abel. Gentlemen. Hello, Mark. How are you? Good, good. Looking forward to talking about this one. Yeah, so so go with me here for a second. We, we have somebody who perhaps isn't vaccinated for uh, COVID-19. They get hospitalized. They get quite sick, uh, but they, they end up recovering and, and now are ready for discharge. We know that those with COVID-19 are known to have clotting disorders, but the pathogenesis of this hypercoagulability in COVID-19 isn't very well understood, at least not by me. It brings us back to a Virchow's triad. I don't know if you guys remember from medical school, the hypercoagulability can be thought of uh, with these, these three different things going on. There's the endothelial injury, and there is evidence of direct invasion of endothelial cells uh, by the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus. There's the second of the virtual triad is, is stasis, and certainly immobilization can cause stasis of blood flow. And lastly, there is this idea of hypercoagulable states. And there are a number of changes in circulating prothrombotic factors that have been reported in patients with, with severe SARS-CoV-2 infection, including uh, elevated factor uh, eight and fibrinogen and, and uh, hyperviscosity, et cetera. We also know that elevated levels of D-dimer have been observed uh, that correlate with illness severity. D-dimer, you'll remember, is a degradation product of uh, cross-linked fibrin, and it indicates sort of a, a hyper-augmented uh, thrombin generation and fibrin uh, dissolution uh, process. The uh, poem that I'm getting to here that you found was published in Lancet in 2022. It starts on page 50. It attempts to answer the question, does post-discharge thromboprophylaxis prevent patients who are hospitalized with COVID-19 and are at risk for thromboembolism? Mark, a good question. What do they find? Yeah, this was a randomized trial and it was industry funded and it was set in Brazil. So they found patients who, as you said, were hospitalized with COVID-19. They were at increased risk for venous thromboembolism based on a validated risk score and their D-dimer levels were elevated. So these were patients with active cancer, GI ulcers, chronic kidney disease, and recent bleeding were excluded as well as anybody on dual antiplatelet therapy. So they all got standard prophylactic doses of enoxaparin, unfractionated heparin or fondoparinux while they were in the hospital. On discharge, they were randomized to get either rivaroxaban, 10 milligrams once daily for 35 days, while the control group had no further anticoagulation. There were 159 in each group. The groups looked the same at baseline. Average age was 57 years. A little over half were men. The median hospital stay was eight days, and about half in each group were in the ICU for part of their hospitalization. So the composite outcome was symptomatic and asymptomatic VTE, symptomatic arterial thromboembolism, and cardiovascular death at day 35. Uh, the treatment group did significantly better, 3% versus over 9%. So the number needed to treat was about 16 to prevent one of these outcomes. It was mainly driven by a lower rate of symptomatic and fatal VTE in the treatment group. The difference there was 0.6 versus 5%. So the NNT is about 23 to prevent one symptomatic or fatal 
uh, venous thromboembolism. Uh, there weren't, they actually didn't see any major bleeding events in either group. Um, so it was kind of a lower dose of rivaroxaban, and that may have been why. Uh, so bottom line, for patients hospitalized with COVID who are at high risk for VTE, extending thromboprophylaxis for another month with rivaroxaban 10 milligrams once daily does reduce their risk of a subsequent thrombotic event without increasing the number of bleeding events. So the NNT is about 16 to prevent one of these events. Wow, that seems like a... Uh... A keeper. They treated these folks for 35 days. I guess the question, perhaps more of an academic question, is did they need to go 35 days? Uh, you know, would less have been okay, or perhaps would they get even more benefit if they treated with 60 days? Yeah, I suppose they could look at the data and see when these events were happening in the control group, right? And um, to see, you know, if they sort of tapered off by two or three weeks, then maybe it would make sense to treat for a shorter period. I think another thing about this is that you know, they were quite careful to identify high-risk patients based on a validated risk score and D-dimer levels and, you know, follow a pretty strict protocol. And, you know, you got to worry about indication creep where pretty soon everyone's going to get put on this for a month after their hospitalization, regardless of their risk, because we're not very good at consistently implementing risk scores and following these kind of protocols. So, um, you know, that is one concern. Do do we know, does the D-dimer in the control group, uh, does it drop? Is there sort of a natural drop over a period of a month? Yeah, they didn't report that, but you'd think that probably would make sense. Thanks, Mark. Very good information. We'll talk again in a week. Sounds good. Well, that's this week's poem. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to read this and other recent poems, please go to www.essentialevidence.com. And please join us again next week for another medical poem. Thank you.